welcome to the Unscrewed podcast. I'm Lisa, here with Ellie. Hi. Oh my god, you did that so well, Lisa. No, so I didn't say Eleanor this time. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you're Yeah, you're always looking at me. I like it that you open it. It's good. Oh, I think your, your tone is more inviting. Are you proud of... What? <laughs> <laughs> All right, maybe not. <laughs> what? Fuck off. No, it's not. Sorry, swearing straight away. No, I... Th- uh, yeah, what? What were we saying? So, as our editor who has advised us to keep the intro short... Yes. Welcome <laughs> for the second time. <laughs> and Happy New Year, because we've not seen you since then. <laughs> and Merry Christmas. <laughs> and how was dry January for you? We missed all of that, didn't we? Well. We couldn't do the podcast because we were both doing dry January. We couldn't possibly have done this podcast without a drink. <laughs> That's why we've been away. We've been very busy not drinking. Liar! I know. I did go meat free though. Yes, you did. I did. It was wonderful. No. Mm. Is fish classed as meat? Oh, fuck off. You and this pescatarian. Well, it is though. You you didn't go full veggie. I just feel like if I call myself a pescatarian. You're a knob. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Basically. um, Yeah, so uh, that's what I've been up to for the past January. Yeah. So welcome back. Thanks for holding in there. Hanging in whilst we we had a bit of a mental break from uh, talking about life with an alcoholic. Yeah, and all all the fun that that encompasses. Yeah, so if you're just joining us for the first time, uh, yeah, Lisa and me, we tend to chat about everything to do with caring for an alcoholic, living with an alcoholic, having sex with an alcoholic. I mean, we, we haven't got We've into never that, discussed so. having sex with an alcoholic. But an episode I see are coming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and everything else in between. Yeah. So um, we love, it's good to have you here with us on this Sunday evening whilst it's hailing outside and we have a glass of Prosecco in each hand. I mean, not in, I haven't got two glasses. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a glass and I've got a glass. Yes. Um, so what's been going on with you? Hello, work. Mm. Work, looking after my child. Mm. That's about it, really. My life's quite boring. Mm. Good. Good news, though. Good news? There's been some good news. What's that? Your mum is still in recovery. Oh, yeah. How oh, long yeah. has it been now? Um, Over nine months, I think, now. Amazing. Yeah, May, May, May of this year, she'll have done a year. Wow. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? If you think about, it's like... It's really weird. ...how this started. With us talking about my mum when she wasn't in recovery yeah and that was where the idea came from yeah 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 and she's actually now she's so yeah it's amazing yeah it's crazy and like how she almost entirely made the decision off her own back because in the past it's always been like helping her go to rehab and you know well not almost entirely she did make the decision off her own back yeah 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 and she's like doing amazing yeah, working in the rehab that uh, that she got up that morning and found online and then uh, rang them up and went that day. And she now works there. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite hard to believe sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And she she's listened to the first episode. <gasps> yeah. She she texts me. <laughs> I was I was in bed watching TV and I got a text up saying um. Just listening to your podcast, I was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> shit, 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 shit. shit. Um, and I actually texted back saying, oh bloody hell, hope you like it. Ooh. And then I didn't hear of her. 
And she was coming to um, my house the following day because she, she comes every single Wednesday. Um, so anyway, so she she could, I didn't hear of her. Then she she come round at the normal time, um, made her a brew and stuff. And I was like, so what did she think of the podcast? And she <gasps> said, I absolutely loved it. I was like, what? She was like, no, she thought it was oh really, God. really good. She said, though, that there was parts of it where she was... Um, she said that when she first started it and she heard mine and, and your your voice for the first time, she's like, I was, I was sat there going, oh, that's Lisa Ranella. <laughs> what? This is really weird. Um, she said, and then whenever you mentioned, like, my mum or Ellie said, your mum, she said, I was gripping, like, the, the pillars at the side of me, yeah. a bit like, oh no, what are they going to say? What they going to say? She said, but but actually, she said, I genuinely really, really enjoyed it. She said, I think it's fantastic. She said, I laughed. It's really informative. Um, and then she just said, I'm really proud of you, which was nice. You're making me want to cry. But I spoke, because I was talking to my husband about it after I told him that my mum had listened to it, and I spoke to her quite a lot about it. And he said, well, I suppose in a way, when your mum is going to listen to the podcast and, and hear certain things about what she might have done, what she might have said. Yeah, I guess a lot of it will be quite new to her because she won't obviously remember all of those yeah. incidents or whatever you're going to talk about, but also it will seem like an entirely different person mm. to what she is now. And I said to Joseph, well, that's exactly it. Oh, when I'm talking about her, it's like her then mm. and then her now. And yeah. they are two completely different people yeah so yeah so that was great that she liked it oh, yeah fucking so, yeah. hell uh, well kudos to you as well because I think well, this whole thing is like the thought of like you know what it might uh, trip your mum out of recovery or something or it might like spiral it might like do something negative to impact her oh yeah and but, I have been don't get me wrong yeah, I have, yeah. I'd be lying if I said that I didn't think that some of the things that I've I've said or I'm going to say on this, my, I've not thought that that's going to send her, oh God, I need a drink and send her back down that path. I've always, I have thought that. Yeah. And I probably will continue to think that. Um, but I guess that's normal. Yeah, but it's also like, do you know, it's, it's about, I think that's like really good for you because you're doing something that is important to you. Yeah. And you're putting yourself first. Mm. And I think that's probably like really good for your mum to know that you're doing something yeah, to help sure. you. Yeah, yeah. That isn't just about like, eggshelling around her you know because mm. there's always going to be stuff in her life that could potentially throw her and it's like you can't yeah, stop definitely. your life from you know mm. but that's great I'm just I'm really chuffed for for you and for your mum it's awesome Yay! good start to the year yeah so how many resolutions have you broken <laughs> I don't make resolutions nah I fucked, I fucked it off I mean the vegetarian thing I stuck at yeah but I'm back on the pescatarian. old meat pescatarian oh, pescatarian whatever I'm back on the meat now. I definitely didn't do dry January. No, I didn't. I, I don't think I've ever no. done that. No. Did you see that whole thing about millennials thinking they've all got drinking problems? No. They give it dry January because it's like, oh my God, I must have a drinking problem when they drink like three Bacardi Breezes. I mean, <laughs> they don't drink Bacardi Breezes anymore. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> um, yeah, cracking. So what are we talking about today? We've done, you have done loads of research this week. I've done like nothing. So I'm going to hand it all over to you this week. Yeah. Yeah. So I watched this awesome documentary the other night um, called The 13th Step. The 13th Step? Yes. 
um, and it's by a lady called Monica Richardson. It was released in 2016. Um, Monica Richardson is an ex-AA member. She was a member of AA for over 35 years. Alcoholics Anonymous. Yes. Right. And she left AA after finding out about... um, Murders and sexual harassment happen among happening among AA members. What? Yeah. Um, so, so in the last episode when we discussed twelve stepping, uh, yeah, <laughs> we I mentioned at one point that um, in America a lot of AA members are there because they're court mandated to to be there. Yeah, yeah. And I I said at the time that you know like for instance if you get a DUI so driving under the influence, you know, drunk driving. And that's that's what I thought those people were, just, like, DUIs. So they it's get, actually as not, part of their punishment. As part of their, like, punishment, it's like, right. Their sentence. Okay, so you've done drunk driving, go to AA for so many weeks. And, right, and, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. And you're done. It's basically. like the standard place to send people for drink or drug For, like, problems. DUIs. That's what I thought in the last episode. Yeah. Right? However, it turns out they send you to AA for lots of other reasons, not just anything to do with drinking. Oh. And that's what this 13th Step documentary is about. Okay, okay. About AA um, meetings not necessarily being safe because it's anonymity, isn't it? So you yeah. don't know. If you're in an AA meeting, you don't know who the person sat next to you. You don't know if they're they're there because for the same reasons as you, because you, you want to be there, you want help, you, yeah. you know, you want that support. That person sitting next to you could be there because they're, quote, mandated to be there. But, uh, okay. but they don't tell you that. You, yeah, you, yeah, You're yeah. not going to know that. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, so this 13th Step documentary is about AA meetings not being safe. For that reason. Oh. So. Okay. Um, I love to feel unsafe. Mm. It's great for my anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, so Monica Richardson left after she found out about um, murders and sexual harassment going on in AA okay. community sort of thing. Um, and one of them was, a, one murder was, it was a highly publicised um, all over the news I love in murder. America. Okay. Yeah, we both love murder. <laughs> um, however, this is quite harrowing. <laughs> As all murders are, what we want probably for a Sunday. Um, so, for instance, in in the documentary, one of one of the things that comes up is the murder of a girl called Carla Brada. So, in 2011, Carla met a man named Eric Allen Earl in AA. They start dating, and then in September of 2011, he murdered Carla. What Carla didn't know was that Eric was a violent man with a 22-year criminal history. His first charge was in 1991 for assault and battery, and he was given the option of either a year in jail or agreeing to attend one-times-weekly AA meetings. No. So he obviously opted for AA meetings. So AA what? for assault and battery, not nothing Where to do is with this? drinking. What state is it? Does it say? Uh, no. So it's in, like um. Let me think. What would I rather so do? It transpired. Kyla's family starts trying to find out his criminal history and finding out how this happened. Um, they thought their daughter was safe going to AA meetings. Um, obviously 
that wasn't necessarily the case because you don't know necessarily who you're talking yeah. to. Um, so basically, in his 22-year criminal history, he had eight restraining orders, and through the court system, he had been sent to AA a total of 52 times instead of instead of serving jail time. That's not 52 meetings. That's 52 times of Separate. going to court, and then instead of getting jail time, being sent to AA for violent crimes. Oh my god! But so was this okay? I don't know if you was it in like the same courts, like the same state. I actually don't know. I can't oh my comment. god! I'm not sure. So it's like it, it didn't work the first fifty-one times. Maybe the fifty-second. Yeah, we'll send you to AA again. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. Um, and then for the murder of Carla, he was sentenced to twenty-six years to life in prison. Well, it's too fucking late now. Yeah, exactly. Fucking hell. That's scary, though, isn't it? So when was that? Uh, 2011. Wow. Yeah, because you do... I guess it's like... Uh, you just... You do feel safe in those things. You're led to feel safe, I guess. You're led to believe everyone's on the same page. And or... everyone's there to support you. You're going to go there. You'll get a sponsor who's going to help you through. And one of the things that they discuss as well in this in this documentary is there's um there's there's a guy he's openly talking and he says a lot of some people that he knows friends, um and a lot of the old timers in AA. If you if you're a new person going to AA, then if someone tells you I've been here for twenty years, I've been sober for twenty years, I can help you with this, I can help you with that. Mm. They they it's like they prey on the new people that that come mm. and there's lots of men and women as well who prey on the new people mm. that arrive that sounds a lot like prison <laughs> <laughs> well fresh meat yeah it's it's just scary that people get court mandated to go to aa instead of going to prison for something that doesn't that the crime they've committed doesn't actually involve mm. drinking or drugging you know so it wasn't like he was, like, was it like he was high or intoxicated no. when he did these crimes initially? No. Wow. That makes sense then. Great, yeah. Yeah, let's send you to AA. Wow. That's scary. So it? this documentary goes through those kind of... Yeah, so I've got another one oh, go on, go to, on, go on, go to on. tell you about. So there's a lady on the documentary um, who tells her story. She's called Darlene Musaro. Musaro? I'll go with Mazzaro. Mm, sounds right. So, Darlene met a man in AA, fell in love with him, and eventually married him. What Darlene didn't know was that her husband was a sex offender. <gasps> so, during an AA... So, they've been married for a while. Oh, during no. an AA meeting one day, Darlene's husband stood up and out of the blue said he needed to admit something, no. and he went on to say... Some of you may not know this, but I am a sexual predator. Oh no, some of you, my wife. is So clearly no. Darlene included in that doesn't know this. <laughs> some of you may or may not know that Darlene has four daughters. I have been pretending to be somebody I'm not, telling her I love her when really praying her dead. I then had hopes I could console and comfort and sexually be with one of her children. How frightening is that? You've met somebody in AA that you think is there for the same reasons as you <gasps> to recover, get well. My mouth is actually like... You meet, you fall in love, you no. get married. It turns out it's all a lie. 
Oh, so and you just wanted to... Oh, my God. No, 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 no. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's absolutely frightening, isn't it? So there was a guy on it as well called Jim, who is an ex-AA World Board member. Hang on, what's this? There's a guy... Oh, this is a different story now. No, it's there's a guy on oh. the actual documentary. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's an ex-AA board, board member. Board, right. Yeah. And he, he left when all of this sort of stuff started coming to, li- to light. He was like, I am not, I am not being yeah. on this board. I, I, don't, I don't want anything to do with it. And he says that 60 to 80% of people attending AA are court-ordered. <gasps> wow. And obviously that doesn't necessarily mean they're there for a drink, to, drinking yeah, offence. Yeah, that's, that's fucking bizarre. It's crazy, isn't it? So they just literally want to tick a box and say they've done something to assist them in their... Like, when really they need to go to see, like, a counsellor or a shrink or uh, prison. Yeah. They need prison, some of them, a lot of them. So AA, somehow, are they, like, changing their, um, do you know, like, their mandate description of what they accept, how they can assist people so they can get... Because they must get money for that, right? Yeah, AA is recognised. They must um, get money from those from, referrals. From the government, they're recognised yeah. as, as, um, <gasps> as a treatment programme. Um, for the courts to send people to, yeah. Oh, my God, that's so disturbing. It's frightening, isn't it? Do you know, it? because apparently, I know, well, I don't know about, I know this is America, but I know in the UK, you're allowed to access, um, say if I started going out with, um, what's his name? What was his name? Who? Darlene's husband. We we don't know his name. Okay, so um, the man who murdered Carla Brado. Eric. So, Eric, you're allowed to, in this country, you're allowed to go to... Uh, the HM Revenue put, put HM Revenue and Customs fucking <laughs> up wrong place the prince the, the police and you're mm-hmm. allowed to ask mm-hmm. you're allowed to give the name of your partner you may well be allowed to do that in America I don't know if no, you're allowed yeah I just land. wonder because no but this is an interesting thing is like you're allowed to access information yeah if anyone has a criminal record you're allowed to, you're entitled to know that I actually think you can do that in America I actually think you can do that online in yeah. America yeah I think you can because apparently as well there's this thing about sex uh, sex offenders about uh, paedophiles as well that they say that they're supposed to inform like I think it's in like the ten houses mm-hmm. either side of that yeah, person's yeah, yeah. house or something mm-hmm. So, like, was he convicted before? Like, fuck. That's really disturbing. It's really disturbing. That sounds really interesting. I would watch that. Where did you get that from? Was that on YouTube? No, I watched it on uh, Amazon. Ah, okay. Branding Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) One of our sponsors. (laughs) We wish. (laughs) Yeah, I watched it on Amazon. Oh, my God, that's gross. Yeah, that sounds... It's really, it's a a really, really eye-opening, interesting documentary. But is that the same for the UK then? Do people get sent to AA in the UK for I don't know. I don't know if it's as readily done as it is in America. It yeah. seems like a normal done thing in America. Like, oh, it's fine. Don't we, we just go to just, it. Just go to AA. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. Because they get to play out yeah, That's a, lot a good of one. Stuff. That's a really good one. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's really, really, really interesting. You'd, uh, yeah, I advise no, watching watch it. No, I'll watch that. So, yeah, that was the 13th step. Mm. Um, oh, and also on on the documentary, they they throw out some interesting uh, facts and and whatnot about we AA, love facts. about the the big book, yeah, the AA book, um, which I now have a copy of because my mum brought it round for me. It is pretty big as well. Yeah, it's like a Bible, isn't it? It's the AA Bible. 
So this, so the big book, it was first published in 1939. The first 164 pages have never been updated mm. ever. Oh. Um, the edition I've got is from 2001. Right. But, this is this but, one here. Yeah. In the first 164 pages, n- nothing's changed since 1939. So in the first 164 pages, there are 497 direct references to God, higher power, him, religious, spiritual, etc. Right. 497 direct references. That's like as long as my dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, wow, right. Also, at the end of the documentary, they give um, they give out quite a lot of useful resources for other um, other ways to help your recovery in a safe environment. So, other other ways to do it other than AA. Alternatives. Yeah, if you were concerned about not being safe in an AA meeting, there are these other things available. So, one of them is called uh, Smart Recovery. That's for any addiction. It's not necessarily just alcoholism. It can be any addiction. Smart. Yes, yeah, smart. Um, and those meetings, you can either go to a meeting or you can actually do it online as well. And their mm. their recovery is based based around CBT, so cognitive behavioral therapy. Right, is what they mainly do. Um, and then another one they mention is women for sobriety, which I I don't I've not read about, so I'm I'm not going to pretend I know because I don't. Let us know about women in sobriety. <laughs> you go and do the research and come back to us. Uh, there's another one called HAMS Network. H-A-M-S. That's a good acronym. Yeah. We'll Hams all remember that. HAMS Network. And then the last one is the Sinclair Method, which I'm going to discuss a little bit later because you don't know about the Sinclair Method. Do no, you? I don't. So I'll tell you about that in a bit. I know about the Eclair Method. <laughs> That's when you eat as many eclairs as you can without choking. <laughs> What, what's the Sinclair method? I want to know. You want to know now? Yeah. Oh, okay. Right, so I know of the Sinclair method because my mum wanted to do this. Ah, okay. Um, Hang on, what, is it like a therapy kind of style or...? Mm, no. Oh, okay. So the Sinclair method... It's not an eclair style, right? Um, yeah, my mum wanted to do this quite a few years ago. Um, and when she first mentioned it to me, I was like, oh, hell no. Yeah. That's, that's a bad... What is that? That's a bad idea. Don't stuff eclairs into your mouth. No. (laughs) So, um, basically, the Sinclair method is a a drug. Um, It's a drug-based cure for alcoholism. And you're a fan? No. Oh, I thought you were saying you were in... No, my mum wanted to do this, and I said... Okay. Oh, I thought you were saying that you were into the Sinclair method. No, 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 no. no. Oh, right, okay. So... Do drugs, kids. It's basically a drug called naltrexone. Sounds friendly. Um, <laughs> and it's an it's an opiate blocker. Yeah. So you get this drug prescribed... Like lithium. ...from your GP. Yeah. And you take it an hour before you're going to have a drink. Right. Okay. So... Because that level of control is always available to alcoholics. Exactly. <laughs> so you take you take the naltrexone... Got it. Be, an hour before. You set your egg timer. An hour before. And then when that hour's up, you <laughs> bing, know, bing, bing. I'm okay now, I can have a drink. So what it does, you, you have the drink and basically you don't get the buzz that you'd normally get from drinking alcohol. It doesn't do anything. It's like mm-hmm. having a glass of water or a cup of tea. And no matter how much of it you drink, you're not going to get the feeling that you used to get 
through drinking alcohol. Right. So the idea is that... You're num- numbing yourself, sort of. So, as, so you, you, you have to take this drug every single time you, you want to have a drink of alcohol. An hour before. Yeah. And the idea is is that the more you do this, the less and less alcohol you'll actually want to drink because you know you're not going to get a buzz off it, so you don't want to do it anymore. Mm. Exactly. So, anyway, so that's basically it. So, what on this, the Sinclair Method have a website, the Sinclair Method. Um, and on their website, it says the five steps... Why does everyone need steps? Because people need steps to In follow. real life, it's like such a boring metaphor. Because you just do. Walk the steps. So the five steps do Stay not away. demand complex psychosocial therapy Ooh. or an examination of your past mm. to find out why you lost control over alcohol. Unlike, <laughs> unlike standard treatments, there's no insistence on intensive psychotherapy, the trauma of inpatient detoxification programs, withdrawal, or white-knuckling it through um, arduous abstinence for the rest of your life. The five steps guide you through the de-addiction process. Well, I can see why a mum yeah, would so, have been interested in this. So step one is understand and think about addiction in an entirely no- new way. Step two, check the severity of the problem and find out if you need help. Step three... <laughs> Work with your doctor to obtain a prescription. Step four, learn about alcoholic beverage measures and keep a record oh. <coughs> excuse me. Keep a record of your drinking and craving as you begin your journey through D addiction. Now you're taking naltrexone before drinking alcohol. Whoa. You become de addicted, your craving and drinking levels decline gradually. Step five, after three to four months, in some cases up to six months, you will be cured. Ding, ding, ding! (laughs) Cured! Hang on. So, wow, that was a lot of steps. I mean, it was only five steps, but it felt like a fucking flight of... So so basically what it is, is that um, if you get a prescription from your GP for naltrexone, and you take it an hour before you have a drink... And you do that for the rest of your Never life. Heard of this? Then you will no longer be an alcoholic. But you'll just be addicted to naltrexone. It's mad. It's it's mad. So is However, it like a, is they it... they claim that they have a seventy eight percent long term success rate. But what is the side effects of this naltrexone? Like, surely any long term opiate. Block, I don't actually. Can't I don't be... actually think it's been around long enough for that. Is that quite a new thing? Then? Collected. Like, um, in, new is in like. I well, I heard about it three like about three years ago from from my mum. Right. Because um, anything with I a, don't exactly know when it first came. Right. About anything with a name like the Sinclair method, it sounds like it's from the nineteen. Well, that was the doctor who came up with this. Well, his surname Sinclair. Stupid Sinclair. So my my mum mentioned this, and she she told me about it about three years ago, and I was mm-hmm. like, no. What? What? Why? I can't see the appeal. Yeah, but that's because she wants to carry on drinking. Yeah. And I'm like, but, oh yeah. But what if one day you wake up and you think, you know what? I am going to drink today, but I'm not going to take the naltrexone because I want to have that buzz. Mm. It's that. It's that simple. You're not cured. Well, you're also just putting. Um, you're putting. You're still putting stock in a drug. Yeah. You're still not putting any control into your life. Exactly. You're still giving over to some, like an opiate, something else. Yeah. To assist you, you're. It's like 
it's essentially it's appealing, I can imagine, because A, yeah, you can drink. Yeah. But also the control is taken away from you. Mm-hmm. If I just give it it's like it's like if you um go on a diet or something, then you don't have to do exercise. Or if yeah. you go on a slimming pill, you don't have to do mm-hmm. you know, it's like yeah. My mum my no. mum approached her GP about it. She her my mum's GP. Did she go to your GP about yeah, it? Yeah, my mum's GP quite rightly said no. <laughs> How about no? How about no? Um <laughs> My my issue with it, because there's a documentary about this as well called One Little Pill. Um, so, yeah, watch this documentary called One Little Pill. It's very, um, it's sided with the Sinclair method saying mm. about how great it is. And it has alcoholics who've, who've used it and had success with it. Um, and I get that maybe for some people it probably it probably is is a good choice and it will work. My, my issue with it is that, especially with my mum, if she'd have, done this she's not she has deeper rooted issues that's it which is why she drinks yeah so she's not dealing with any of those issues because this is actively saying you don't need to do the psychotherapy you don't need to understand your past you don't need any of that you don't need to understand your triggers so, so in, in my mind, it's like if you're taking this so that you, then you can continue drinking alcohol and not dealing with all of that stuff, then something yeah. else is going to crop up yeah. and you're going to use something else apart from the alcohol to Bury it again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Because you're not dealing with what the actual issue is. And it's exactly... It's the same with antidepressants. It's because so often doctors just want antidepressants, I feel, or the pharmaceuticalists mainly. They just want the antidepressant Mm. to get rid of the symptom so you can statistically call yourself well. Yeah. Take away those drugs, though. The root is always going to be there. Yeah. You know? Unless you can, like, really understand the root. Yeah, exactly. You're never going to change the root or, like, whatever, but if you can understand it, that's yeah. where the power lies. Well, that's all about that, aren't we? Taking back that power and that ownership of why you've yeah. made a choice. Not going, like... Because that kind of sounds like, well, I've got this addiction, so I can just take a drug and I don't own it. I've I've got something else to blame. I've got, I don't have to take control of yeah. it. No, I've never heard of that. I mean, the eclair method sounds like it could just work the same. <laughs> That's my overeating excuse. <laughs> <laughs> I think the other thing as well with this is like you would surely you would constantly have to have though that naltrexone on your person when you're out and about. Because if you're just like wandering down the street and you go past a pub and you think, oh, I fancy a pint. But 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 the oh, hour. No. I need the hour. Where's my oh. egg timer? You know, oh, fuck. it's like you, if you're an alcoholic, I can't see an alcoholic planning in advance an hour. Before they have a drink. Yeah. My mum certainly wouldn't have done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this to me is like someone who's like at home. But for some people, <laughs> I think if you, if you just wanted to curb your drinking a little bit and not drink as much as you used to, but you're not necessarily waking up every single day and you have mm. to have that drink, you're not an alcoholic and you wanted to decrease the amount you were drinking, I could mm. understand that that would probably work. But I don't, I don't, I just can't see it. Well, what about... I'm just... I'm interested. No, no, from what you've just said. Yeah. What's the drug called? Naltrexone. There's naltrexone and there's also... There's another one. Naltrexone. Is that it? Naltrexone. Yes. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Side effects. I'm just interested because surely this sounds a bit like it would be a come down. Nausea. Headache, dizziness, anxiety, tiredness, trouble sleeping may occur... Mild opiate withdrawal may occur. Abdominal cramps, restlessness, bone joint pain, muscle aches, runny nose. Sudden opiate withdrawal symptoms can occur within minutes after taking naltrexone. Tell your doctor right away 
if these symptoms occur. Abdominal cramps, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, joint bone, muscle pain, mental mood changes, anxiety, confusion, extreme sleepiness, visual hallucinations. <laughs> and after visual hallucinations, it's got runny nose. <laughs> <laughs> Naltrexone has rarely caused serious liver disease. Good. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm just looking. This is not a complete list of the side effects. Just interesting because you're just, yeah, you're just forcing one other drug into your body and then causing it side effects like massive. It might be a cure, but you're, these side I mean, effects are... a lot of... You're like, taking them every day, isn't a it? A lot of rehab facilities and stuff don't offer naltrexone as... as um, mm. Is it more as an a American way to thing combat or? alcoholism? No, you can get it over. You can get it over here as well. It's not even in rehabs in America. They don't offer it as like a standard. Right. Uh, you could you could use this as a treatment because you're essentially treating alcoholism with alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Which <laughs> well, that's a bit like that Russell Brand documentary where it's about drugs where you give people um, heroin addicts methadone. Methadone. Yeah. You're treating it with more drugs. Yeah. You're not actually sorting the 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 issue of yeah, yeah, why yeah, the person's yeah, yeah. using the drugs. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's my problem with this. You're not getting to the core reason of why that person is the way they are, why they're the alcoholic. You're not going to deal with any of that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, you're just allowing the alcoholic to, to drink and not feel effects from drinking. Yeah. But that said, I am interested in hearing from anybody who's... Yeah, used this and, the Eclair method. And, and, yeah, I mean the Sinclair method. <laughs> the Sinclair method, <laughs> and found it beneficial. I'm interested to hear from those people and people who've tried it, and it's 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 not. It's gone the other way. Yeah, yeah. Um, Let us know if you've ever, or if anyone in your family or your friends or whatever you know anyone. Who's had the Sinclair method? Yeah, let us know. I was quite interested to learn more about it. But yeah, there's a documentary called One Little Pill, which is all about the Sinclair method. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Oh my God, you've done so much research. Your notes are really good. I mean, you could have double-sided. That would have saved the environment. So, also, another thing that uh, crops up in this 13th step documentary, which is uh, which I found horrifying and yet really interesting, Yeah is um, AA counsellors. So, like, the person who's chairing an AA meeting. So, like, who's in charge who's of Who's in the, charge of right, the AA yeah. meeting, who's, like, um, directing how things yeah. are, are going and who's speaking next and whatnot. So, what would you think you would need to do in order to become an AA counsellor to uh, chair oh. one of those meetings? Um, well, you'd probably have to have been through the programme, I imagine. Um, and possibly have some sort of qualification in like, like myself, like a level two, at least some sort <laughs> of basic level of counselling, of understanding of group work and how it works. Yeah. Probably have to be like, I don't know, checked by a DBS certificate or something. Uh, that? Like child safety. So you oh, could right. work yeah, with yeah. like, um, I don't know. Yeah. Something basic like that. Yeah. yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. No. 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 To become an AA counsellor, um, basically anyone can be an AA counsellor. <gasps> me! And the, the only thing you need to be, need to do to become an AA counsellor is to pass a TB test. A TB test? Yes, tuberculosis. No. Yeah. There's no, no training. No oh, I fa- thought... No, yeah, no, no, that's what it is, tuberculosis. Fuck off. A, a TB check. If you, if you pass a TB test, you're in, you're good. 
No. You don't need any qualifications. No trainings provided. No. No background checks. No. Nothing. No. Seriously. Fuck off. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's all I can say. So, what? Mm-hmm. As in, I'm not going to cough up blood from my lungs. Is that tuberculosis? <laughs> Pretty much. Then you're in. Yeah, you're, sorted. you're in. Wow. So, yeah. So, I'm good to go. I'm you're, good a, to you're a sexual offender, you're good to go. You're a violent criminal, you're good to go. You're a priest. But you don't have TB. Perfect. But you're I have, I'm a counsellor with grade five in counselling, but I've got TB. Yep, now you're out. Oh, shucks. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. How scary is that? No, that's... So that's, not only do you I mean, not, by standards of AA, I feel that's quite logical. So not only do you <laughs> not know who the person who's attending a meeting with you yeah. is, yeah. or why they're there, yeah. or anything to do with their past, you also don't know that that could be the same for the person that's chairing the AA meeting. Wow. So where do you go? I wanted to look up because people have been sending in stuff through the questionnaire and yep. their stories and like, please do send us in your stories, your experience of what your life's been like, whether that's you're an adult child of an alcoholic or it's happening to you right now. Or yeah, you've... any experience where we really yeah, want yeah. to know Cause about. Yeah, because it's really good for us to learn and like for us and just put it in writing. We've talked about it in episode two, put it in writing. If you want to put it in expressive dance, that's great. Maybe refrain from sending us a video. <laughs> but <laughs> or I mean, not. Or not. Well, I mean, I'd watch it. Um one of the questions we ask is how you feel like it's affected your mental health. Mm-hmm. Has it had any impact growing up with an alcoholic or living yeah. with an alcoholic? Um, and some really recurrent common themes, which I don't know what we were really expecting yeah. to hear, but it's quite comforting in a way to know that it pretty much everyone who writes into us has experienced some yeah. effect on their mental health. And that it's a, if this was like, if we were making this like a medical questionnaire, it would be pretty clear mm-hmm. that the effect is, it's a domino effect, that it, it has a lasting effect on your life. Yeah, most definitely. In a mental health way. And then because I myself have had mental health issues, I've suffered with depression and anxiety and it's something I can really relate to. So some really common themes include depression, anxiety, a really big one as well is self-harm yeah. and eating disorders. Yeah, that was me. Yeah, I, which I didn't know was quite a... but. I think a lot of people on the questionnaire, they talk about, I'm not going to highlight anyone specific, but talk about that element of control. That's exactly where it is. Yeah. Well, for me. Yeah. It was a control thing because you don't have control around, about what's happening around you. Mm. So the only way of something that you can have control over is what you put into your body or don't. Yeah. And that was a, an element of a... It was a control thing yeah. for me. But it's like, from reading what people have said, it's almost like it's not even a, necessarily a subconscious choice. No, not no, at all. No, 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 it is a subconscious no, choice. No, it's, it's not it's a conscious not, choice. That's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's only years... Because I was anorexic and then I was bulimic. So it's, yeah. it's only then years later realising... You realise. That it, it's a con, it's a control yeah. thing. I know, and I've been told that by therapists and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As well, and now I realise it. So now if I ever feel... If I'm overstressed or I've got something, you know, bad has happened, you know, a death in the family or or, or anything, and I feel that sort of thing creeping back in, I know how to recognise it. And I know that I need to go and see my therapist and I do that straight away. Yeah. Because I don't want it to escalate. Yeah. But, But at the time, when it first happened, I wasn't aware of 
why I was doing no, yeah. what I was doing. Now I am, but not Yeah, better. yeah. And it's like, because I had a bit of uh, the same thing was like when I ended a really long term, like a long term serious relationship for me when I was younger, I had a thing about food and controlling my food. And, and but I didn't realise that's what it was. Yeah. But it is literally your brain going, oh, reach out to something, click onto something you can yeah. control, like, like a disassociation or something. Um, yeah. So, but it was just something really interesting I found. And then um, what's difficult is those, it builds this um, sense, this like fosters this idea of secrecy. Mm-hmm. You know, especially around like eating disorders and yeah, self-harm yeah. and um, already you're embedded in this line of secrecy where you don't tell people about what's going on. You can't give the reasons. You don't tell people about the alcoholic. You don't see so you've already got this yeah. like uh, ultra. So it's really difficult to talk about it. It's really difficult to try and express it, put it into words. And we've talked about that previously and we'll probably talk about it again. Probably. But um, <laughs> I think... There's like, I've done loads of, from my own therapy and from my own experiences, I've done loads of reading about depression, anxiety, helping, just helping yourself. And one thing I wanted to point out was this book, which I highly recommend. It's called Reasons to Stay Alive Mm -hmm. by Matt Haig. And it's a really small book and it's really small chapters. And it's just, it's about this guy who basically had a mental breakdown when he was 25. Yeah. Went into a huge bout of depression um and crushing anxiety and he it's basically little nuggets of knowledge yeah and some of the stuff he talks about which I found really interesting was I want I wanted to share this bit because it's kind of to go hand in hand with how if you feel like you can't talk about that place where you're in and you feel like your mental health is like slipping out of control mm-hmm. you're justified because it is really difficult to talk about and it is really difficult to put out there absolutely and he does this there's this chapter <clears throat> which I found really, I think it's really, really use, like funny. Um, it's called Things People Say to Depressives That They Don't Say in Other <laughs> Life-Threatening Situations. Okay. So this is when you're feeling like suicidal. It's when you're self-harming. It's when you're throwing up constantly. It's when you hate yourself. When and you so feel like... Snap out of it. Yeah, yeah. You'll so be fine. This is, it made me laugh because it's just putting into perspective of this is... Things people say to depressives or people who say to you when you've got these problems, you're maybe not open about it, that they wouldn't say in other life-threatening situations. Because mm-hmm. these situations are fucking life-threatening. Mm. So the first one. Come on. I know you've got tuberculosis, <laughs> but it could be worse. At least no one's died. Wow. Why do you think you got cancer of the stomach? <laughs> what? Yes, I know. Colon cancer is hard. But you want to try living with someone who's got it. Shh, nightmare. (laughs) Oh, Alzheimer's, you say. Oh, tell me about that. I get that all the time. Oh, meningitis. Come on, mind over matter. (laughs) Yes, yes, your leg is on fire. But talking about it all the time isn't going to help things, is it? (laughs) And then, okay, yes, yes. Maybe your parachute has failed. But chin up. (laughs) (laughs) so yeah those are the kind of things that I get why sometimes it can be really fucking hard to say I'm really struggling yeah because people don't understand how difficult it is to live with these fucking it's an illness and these symptoms are real yeah but I, I, I agree wholeheartedly with you but if you've not been in that situation it can be really difficult to Mm. grasp because like which is why you might say why you might say these sorts of things 
Because, like, my husband, he's never dealt with any sort of mental illness, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, it, like, nothing, mm. until he met me. Isn't, hey! he, a, isn't he a lucky man? <laughs> um, and, you know, like, at, at first, you'd be like, oh, you, you'd be fine. Get out of bed. It's a nice day. Come Chin on. up. Chin up. It's great. Life's, life's amazing. You know, let's go for a walk. And I'd just be like, fuck off and leave me alone. Your brain's want, falling out I your ears. I just want to stay in a dark room yeah. and just have everything be dark and ignore the world. Yeah. And that's all you want to do in that in that time. Yeah. And he didn't get that because he's never experienced it before. And then, obviously, we've been, we've been together for many years, married for many years now. He, he now understands. Yeah. At least I... I I hope he does. No, he does. If you're out there. Because he's, re- he's read a lot about it and stuff, and he's lived with it now, so he knows, like, that saying, oh, come on, you're going to be fine. Yeah. Get up and crack on. Because that's really helpful. Isn't going to help. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so in this book, then, further down, it says, um, we do this thing on the questionnaire when we ask people if they could give advice. Yeah, sure. What would they, what um, would what would they give? Yeah. yeah. So this one I found, I thought about if you're listening like me, and you've got people in your life who have to live with people who are an alcoholic or you want to be there, you want to help someone who's in mm. a dark place or going through a difficult time. Maybe they can't quite articulate that they're feeling depressed. Maybe they can't quite articulate what's happening to them. So this, in the same book, it says how to be there for someone with depression or anxiety. Okay. So some just some of my favourite bits. And he's got 10 different bits. Um, so this is, the, this is a couple I like. So how to be there for someone. Know that you are needed and appreciated, even if it seems like you're not. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. So, and the second one is listen. Yeah. And that's just about you being there and listening is enough. You don't have to try and solve a problem, give a solution to a problem. You don't just be in there. Mm -hmm. Um, Never say pull yourself together or cheer up. Unless you're also going to provide detailed, foolproof instructions. <laughs> um, tough love doesn't work. Turns out just good old love is enough. Appreciate that it is an illness. Things will be said that aren't meant. Yeah, very true. Yeah. Educate yourself. Understand above all what may seem easy to you going to a shop, for instance, might be an impossible challenge for yeah. a depressive. Don't take anything personally any more than you would take someone suffering with the flu or chronic fatigue syndrome or arthritis personally. None of this is your fault. So that kind of applies as well if you have someone who's an alcoholic who's maybe struggling with mental health. Yeah. Like we've talked about, like, don't take it personally. It isn't anything you have done. Most definitely not, no. Um, Be patient. Understand it isn't going to be easy. Depression ebbs and flows and moves up and down. It doesn't stay still. Do not take one happy slash bad moment of proof of recovery slash relapse. Play the long game. That's true though, because it does. It you know you could be in a in a depressive mode for weeks, months, in some cases years. Yeah. Or it could be days, and then you could then come out of that depressive mode and 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 you you're great again and everything's mm. happy and everything's great and that then going back doesn't necessarily mean it, it it's not a relapse it's one of, de- depression is one of those things that can just crop up yeah time and time and time again it's a really ugly thing to yeah. try and deal with mm-hmm. and it's not just once it's gone it's gone yeah it, 
that's not it's not the case mm-hmm. well it's it's an emotional reaction and it's a, a trigger reaction so like you said if someone um, dies if you've got loss if you have grief yeah. if you've got um something big changes those things might crop up so just yeah. again go back to that thing of like listen it's not about you there's exactly. nothing you can do just be there yeah and listen yeah, yeah, yeah as hard as that is be patient um meet them where they are ask what you can do the main thing you can do is just be there and that's something like i really learn about especially i think in any situation is just being in the physical space with someone just that mm-hmm. can be enough you know when you're really down or when someone is really low or just put yourself in that space with them that can be enough just yeah. go around make a cup of tea hang out watch tv just be there yeah you know don't try to force an agenda it's just that kind of thing i think is really people underestimate what that power can have it's probably more powerful than going around and offering advice oh yeah way more powerful. you are not a trained counselor <laughs> especially i need to remember that i am not a trained counselor <laughs> um relieve any work slash life pressure if that is doable yeah yeah and um the last one is where possible don't make the depressive feel weirder than they already feel three days on the sofa haven't opened the curtains crying over difficult decisions like which pair of socks to wear so what no biggie there is no standard normal normal is subjective there are seven billion versions of normal on this planet that's a thing though like don't make the depressive feel any weirder than they already do because when you're I know, well, I can speak for myself, can't speak for anybody else, but for myself, like, there are, there are times when I've, like, literally said to my husband, it's okay, I know that I'm mental, <laughs> I don't need you to then make me feel more mental than I already feel. Yeah. Because you do feel like you're such an outsider yeah. that nobody else can infiltrate and understand how yeah how you're feel how you're feeling and for them to point out you're being a bit weird it's like i know because <laughs> i'm and mental. the medal for observation goes to you <laughs> <laughs> yeah no and um yeah i just i think this book is just full of like amazing just it's his story but it's got really so beautiful... it's really good then for for someone who who is depressed and who's going through mental illness of you know anxiety depression whatever but also for somebody who isn't and who knows somebody that is that they can they're gonna understand them yeah. hopefully a little bit more 100%, by reading this 100 just even if it's just a little nugget of insight into yeah, yeah. what it might be like mm. and that can apply yeah like you said either if it is the alcoholic perhaps they have mental health issues yeah, yeah. that you can just just try to like just understand at a basic level because yeah if it really is one of those things the same with my partner if you i think if you if you can't understand it, depression, for some reason, it's really difficult to see, or any sort of mental illness, whether that's an eating disorder or self-harm, it's really difficult to understand understand it because mm. it's as if it's a choice more than it is an illness, more than yeah. it is a more than it is a reaction to something that you can't control. Mm-hmm. It's an emotional response. It's it's a, it's an illness. You don't choose it. You know what I mean? Speaking of mental health, mm. have you seen um, the adverts that have been on 
I've noticed quite frequently, a lot recently, about mental health and to talk about it, to make it more, like, recognised. No. Have, have you not? No. The last few times, because I don't really watch live TV a lot. The last few I t- watch Amazon. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. No, the last few times I've watched live TV, I've seen a couple of adverts Ooh. all to do with... Um, Oh, there's a mental health charity and I can't think of the name. Mind? Which would be Mind, I think it's Mind. It's probably Mind, yeah. And it's about talk, like, talk about mental health because no one talks about it because it's not real. No one has mental health issues. Yeah. And it's a really quietened down thing. And, yeah, there's all these adverts about it and stuff. Whoa. So I feel like more people yeah, yeah, are, yeah. like, pushing to talk about it yeah. more. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's a really, amazing. really good thing. Yeah, and I think I just feel like I wanted to bring it up because I was reading through all the questionnaires and the responses and stuff people are sending it, and it's such a recurrent theme. And it it's, is, and because it's, yeah. it's recurrent for, for, for the addicts, but but also the people that are, you know, around the addict, help, not even necessarily if you're helping the addict, you might not even be helping them, but, but you're in that addict's family or you're an addict's friend or, or whatever, you might necessarily be there help, trying to help them it's going to have some sort of impact on your life. Yeah, yeah. And ultimately, probably your mental health. Yeah. And yeah, it's a, it's a massive recurring theme. Yeah, and yeah. it just, it seems like it always comes back down to, and I feel this ties in with what we talked about with when we talk about Janet Jurgen's book about yeah. the, about we are so used to secrecy, mm. especially if you've grown up with an alcoholic or an addict of any yeah. kind. You're so used to keeping things to yourself, to hiding, mm. to pretending that depression is again, it's one of those things because it's in your mind, because we can't see it, because we can't quantify it down yeah. to like a symptom, like a headache, you know, we don't talk about it. We yeah. don't. Um, so read this book. And the last bit I wanted to read is... Um, he talks all about what depression is, talks about it, blah, 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 blah. And he says, depression is also, and I just love this, depression is also smaller than you. Always it's smaller than you. Even when it feels vast, it operates within you. You do not not operate within it. It may be a dark cloud passing across the sky, but if that is the metaphor, you are the sky. You were there before it, and the cloud can't exist without the sky, but the sky can exist without the cloud. Ooh. isn't that pretty yeah it's very nice I love that I just I just love that and it goes again about like just just making it about you owning your shit owning what you know is about you you yeah. are the sky depression is a cloud your anxiety your self-harm your feelings your anorexia your bulimia your eating disorders they are the cloud but mm-hmm. you are the sky you are bigger than that you were there before it so yeah, I really recommend it. It's a beautiful book called Reasons to Stay Alive by Matt Haig. I have bought this book for so many people and shared it out because it genuinely, it's just one of those, because when it's, it's it's not written by a psychotherapist yeah. or, a, or a therapist or an analytic, it's just really small bite-sized chunks of someone's real experience and I really recommend it. So if you've been listening to the past few podcast episodes, every week we cover a... Uh, a characteristic of an adult child of an alcoholic by uh, Janet. Whoa, tits. Whoa, titties, get out the way. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we basically pick a number. I'll pick number eight there, Lisa. Okay. I'll take number eight. Number eight. Adult children of alcoholics overreact to changes over <clears throat> which they have no control. I have never overreacted to anything in my life. How dare you ask me such a question? <laughs> Stupid bitch. 
Have you ever overreacted, Lisa? I don't even know what the word overreacted means. Okay, so adult children of alcoholics overreact to changes over which they have no control. So, for example, if I was planning to have a party outside but then it rained, I might be like, smash a glass in your face and tell you it's your fault. Maybe. I don't know if it's that extreme, but yeah. Well, in my head, well, that's, that's overreacting. overreacting. <laughs> yeah, true. True story. Well, yeah, but you're not a child of an alcoholic, are you? Oh, my. Don't tell me what I'm not. No, I'm just saying. Is that an overreaction? Like... <laughs> Is that an overreaction? <laughs> no, I get that. Come on, I tell o- me, Lee. I overreact all the time to no? changes outside of my control. Really? You know I do this. <laughs> Does there have to be alcohol involved in this scenario or... No, it can be generally day-to-day activities. <laughs> if something is going on and it's supposed to happen at a certain time or, you know, just anything like that and it doesn't, then, yeah, I can I can overreact like that. In, in what way do you overreact? Well, just get all, like, tense and pissy about it. I don't really know how else to describe it. Like, for instance, yeah, the other week, so it was... was, (laughs) Oh, I've got one. No, I have one, and (laughs) this is quite simple. The other Friday, it was my husband's birthday, and you, my brother, my dad, and my stepmom were coming around for food, okay? So I was used to get home at a certain time. The traffic was terrible. Like, it, it was really, really bad. So I was about... Only about half an hour late to get home. So my husband was going to go and pick up my dad and my stepmom after I'd got got in from work so that I could get in, set the table, do whatever little bits I needed to do around the house. And because I was late getting in, I got home and I opened the front door and the alarm was on. And I thought, why is the alarm on? Because he's been working from home all day. So where is he? So I phoned my husband and I'm like, where are you? And he was like, I'm on the way to pick up your dad. And I was like, what? And he was like, I'm on the way to pick up your dad. And I was like, I've only just got in from work. I was stuck in traffic. I need to I need to wash the pots. I need to put the, the washing away. I need to set the table. And I need to get a shower. I've just got in from work. I've been stuck in traffic. How long are you going to be? He's like, I'm at your dad's house now. I'll We'll be back in about 10 minutes. So it really, because it threw me, because I... I like having a time frame of doing things in. I, mm. And to be honest, I think my son's picked it up off me. I like really? to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, really, like, especially recently, like, I like to know what I'm doing and when I'm doing it. Like, I have to have, like, a, a regimen of, of what's happening. And if people let me down, like, last minute... <laughs> it really pees me off and I get that life gets in the way sometimes yeah because people... person in that scenario let you down no I, no, no, no I don't necessarily mean that <laughs> the scenario stupid fucking bus driver I don't mean that scenario that I mean, person like, in the car crash I mean like for instance if you, if you plan to do something one night with, with somebody and then they let you down like say the night before yeah but they're acting like it's no big deal to me, it's like, well, no, that is a big deal. You, It's last minute. Like, I could be doing something now tomorrow, and I'm not, because you've now decided for me mm. that that's not happening, and I don't like that. But I it, like everything yeah. to have a time and a place, and I know what's happening. Right. So That's the- just how I am. But my child is now the same, because every morning we get up, and he says, right, mummy... 
what are we doing? And I'm like, well, mummy's going to get 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 up and get, get dressed and then we'll go downstairs and you'll have your breakfast. And then what's happening? Well, after your breakfast, we go upstairs, we brush your teeth and then you get dressed for school. And then what's happening? Well, then you can play with your toys and then what's happening? Well, then you're going to go to school. Well, who's picking me up from school? And it'll either be, well, mummy's picking you up or daddy's picking you up or grandpa's picking you up or, or whoever. And then what's happening? Then we're going to go home. Oh, really? And then, you know, we'll play for a bit. And then what? Well, then you'll have your tea. And then what? Then you'll get in the bath. And then what? Well, then we'll play for it more. And then it's bedtime. And then what happens? Well, then it's the next day. And this happens every single morning. And I am now starting to think, that might be my fault. (laughs) (laughs) Because I am very much like that. Wow. Yeah. But do you see it as, like, an issue? Well, not for me. <laughs> for people around me, it probably is. Joe's there doing jo- the jo- nice thing, picking up your parents, yeah. like, hello, darling. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> this wasn't the time we said. I How have to dare do this, you not this anticipate this? the traffic jam, you cunt? <laughs> you, well, pretty much. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not good with, like, like changes. But like do you that. see it when it's happening? I see it. I see it after as soon as it's literally, it could Left be as soon, as soon as I've put that phone down, I've gone, oh, <laughs> that's not really such a big deal, is it? But it's like, no, I needed the pots washing. I needed the table set, the candles on before anyone comes to my house oh, to see oh. that anything was out of place. What? Where does that come from then? How is that related to being a child of an alcoholic? What do we think? I think because when when you're a child of an alcoholic, your your life is that erratic. With you don't know what what's going to happen from one minute to the next because so of expect, the alcoholic. You expect it to be a negative, yeah, like any spontaneous moment, any yeah, unplanned like moment. You, you you don't you don't want could be anything like, to be sort of out of your control, or, right? Yeah, I because think, then it could you feel like a vulnerable child again yeah, or something. I think, like I think. Yeah, the yeah. broad stroke yeah, of Janet. Probably. <laughs> or maybe I'm just a bit crazy. Who knows? But yeah, I think... I know this really good book for that probably, called Reasons to Stay yeah, Alive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, I think it's probably due to the fact of being a child and an alcoholic, everything's quite erratic. Nothing's regimented. Nothing's this, that and the other. And it's all quite... Yeah. So that kind of ties back in, actually, with that idea of, like... Uh, control it is a control thing in the sense of an eating disorder or self-harm or it's like anything you can do to own control I like everything really really regimented Mm. even to this day like if we're if I'm eating my tea I eat my tea quite regimented as well Mm. so if I've got like say meat spuds veg I'll eat the veg first really and then I'll eat the spuds and then I'll eat the meat like I am that meticulous about stuff like that. So that because I am like quite regimented about loads of things. I mean, I mean that could you be. You didn't grow up with an alcoholic, so you don't. Know. No, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't. But that could be a good place for you to start experimenting. What, with mixing peas with potatoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Maybe <laughs> if you're out there and you're like, "Fuck, that's me." Maybe that's a good place to start. I'm gonna mix a bit of gravy with the chip and then a bit of pea with the chip. And just explore like how that makes you feel. I, I like. I'd love to hear about your stories of mixing fruit, <laughs> fruit and veg, <laughs> veg and potato and meat. But that's really interesting. Like it's definitely yeah. That's that's that is actually mm-hmm. 
and that's really truthful i love you i love the fact that you just said that your husband is out there like thank you i finally get the acknowledgement for taking years of this shit and your son's gonna listen to this in like 10 years and be like that's where it's from it's your fault <laughs> it's all your fault i can't eat my peas with my chicken when i want to i only eat them independently mum let's be clear he doesn't even eat peas because he won't eat veg well that's all your fault too it is my fault start taking the blame now <laughs> thank you for listening to our podcast thank you so much and uh Please send us your thoughts, your feelings, your experiences, your stories. You can send it to us on the email, which is podcastunscrewed at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at unscrewedpodcast. Or write to us on our Gmail account, which is podcastunscrewed at gmail.com. We're on YouTube, we're on iTunes, we're on wherever the fuck you're listening to us. Thank you for listening and go and stress out at something that went wrong. <laughs> that was outside of your control. <laughs> we were this week sponsored by Amazon and White Wine from Aldi. <laughs> Cheers, Lise. <laughs>